It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app with you for the next 60 minutes as we will continue our draft preview. Two more schools on tap today. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We'll get to some interaction a little bit later on in the program. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So Lance Meadow, John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. John is back after wisdom was pulled out from every which way <laughs> of his am. mouth. So I don't know what's left at this point, John. Well, I don't know how much I had to begin with, but I'm not 100%. So You, you said so, it, I didn't, but I'm glad we clarified so, that. So you so. guys will do most of the talking today, but I am in the building and I am here. Very excited to be back. Absolutely, and we are overwhelmed. I know you can't see me right now, but I can tell you I'm so enthused that you're oh, back in the I, I, Yes, The reason you're most enthused is because I'm not going to be able to talk that much. That makes you even Well, happier. we'll see. I mean, that's what you say off the top. That doesn't mean <laughs> that you'll fulfill that promise as the show progresses. All right, but speaking of off the top, let's continue our draft preview today. We're going to focus on the state of Michigan. First up is Western Michigan, and to tackle those prospects, we are now joined by John Creek, Western Michigan radio color analyst who you could hear on the Bronco Radio Network. John, you got Lance Meadow, John Schmoke, Paul Dottino. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Good talking football in the month of March. Absolutely. As we inch closer to the draft, and John, the guy I want to start off with is the wide receiver, Sky Moore, who is coming off a very productive career, had an outstanding 2021 season. It seems as if this guy really lives up to his name and makes contested catch after contested catch. How much is that the one facet that really maybe separates him from other wide receivers? Yeah, I think that's correct. You know, he actually played uh, quarterback in high school, so learned how to play wide receiver when he got to Western Michigan. And um, you know, had a great, great wide receivers coach there, and Tim Lester is a quarterbacks coach, head coach, and uh, really got Sky, you know, running routes correctly. But he's really in the 2021 season, is running really, really uh, shined. He had 95 catches, over 1,300 yards, and what he did well in 2021 is he played well against the good teams that Western Michigan played, especially the game against University of Pittsburgh when they beat Pitt, uh, the ACC champs at at. Uh, at Pittsburgh Stadium uh, early in the season, had uh, 11 catches for 125 yards. And then the Northern Illinois game, who won the Mid-American Conference, had 12 catches for 206 for four TDs. Um, but uh, Sky really runs the routes well. And then, like you said, he really gets the ball away from the defender quick, catches the ball at the high point, you know, only 5'11", 185 pounds, but uh, plays a lot bigger than that. It's been a really, uh, really good wide receiver for the Broncos. So do you see him as a three-way wide receiver who could play any of the three positions? Yeah, you know, he did at Western Michigan. I think that really helped him. He played the slot for a little bit when he first got there, when he's first learning how to play the position, which is the slot receiver in college a little bit easier than playing on the outside. But Broncos needed him on the outside this year, uh, lost their two slot guys from, from the previous year, and really – really shine at a position. Then obviously the combine really opened some eyes of some NFL people running that four three nine forty. Um came in. I I thought that Tim Lester, the head coach yesterday at practice at Springball, 
he came as a freshman, ran like a four seven. So he really improved his obviously improved his stock by by the speed that he can run. So he can play on the outside, but also can be a possession receiver and runs those quick slant routes on the inside of the of the field. You know, the one thing I noticed watching him is that he's just always open. His ability to create separation whether with his route running or his speed, is just off the charts. And I think the question you always have when you talk about these guys from you know smaller programs and smaller conferences, will that translate to the pro level? And I think what he did with all his testing at the Combine uh, is really going to you know convince NFL evaluators that they can. What can you talk about his growth in terms of his route running, the craft of playing wide receiver? As you mentioned, he showed up as a quarterback uh, as you saw him grow at Western Michigan. Yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, you could see the progression from his freshman. He was actually all-MAC uh, freshman team his first year at Western, so and kind of got thrown right into it. The Broncos lost uh, all the wide receivers from the previous year, so Sky was kind of forced into that position right away and kind of learned on the job and, and just got better. One of those guys you talk about your, your best guys in your team want to be your best guys in practice and work the hardest, and that was kind of what Sky did. and really set himself apart this year from the rest of the receivers in the Mid-American Conference. Again, played well against Michigan, played well against Pittsburgh, Northern Illinois. You know, previous years played well against Michigan State, some of the, you know, the Big Ten teams that the Broncos had played in the past, and um, just really worked on his craft. And again, his route running, the biggest thing that I see is he doesn't have to slow down when he makes his cuts. Yep. It's all in one motion. You know, that's probably the thing. And the Pittsburgh game really showed that with the slant routes that he ran. He puts a couple Pittsburgh defenders on their on their backside as he was making cuts, you know, to get open. And um, and then you know the speed really was a big difference this year. I think that made him an NFL caliber receiver when you're running those sub four four times to be able to get open on the outside and, and to catch those long passes. Just a quick follow up. I, I happened to run into him at the combine, just cross pass in the hall quickly. And you know, sometimes these guys, even from smaller programs, if they're like the big guy on campus and they're like the star, you know, you can you you can get a little high on yourself. He was the most polite, nicest kid that I ran into in Indianapolis. Is that the sense that you got from being around him uh, on campus during his time there? Yeah, very humble. Um, obviously, you know, uh, big man on campus type person but not that attitude at all it was was real good with people in the Kalamazoo community signed autographs whenever he was around the kids at, at, at the stadium um just a real good team guy you know kind of the leader of that wide receiver group um you know and then worked really well with Caleb Ellaby the quarterback you know you, you want your your two best guys on the field to work well together and they kind of meshed um as the season went along but yeah just just a real stand-up guy and you know, whoever drafts him is going to get not only a great wide receiver, but a great person off the field, too. Talking with John Creek, Western Michigan color analyst on the Bronco Radio Network. John, I want to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball because another notable player is off the edge, and that is Ali Fayad, who impressive numbers he had in this past season, 12 sacks, 12 games. But I think the biggest question is, does he have the size to translate to the NFL level, many people view him as an undersized college pass rusher. Maybe he's only going to be a situational type of down guy on the NFL stage. Where do you see his transition as he makes the jump from college to the pros? Yeah, usually that's always the, the question with the Mid-American Conference defensive linemen. You know, they're a little bit undersized compared to your Power 5 teams. Obviously, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL, Max Crosby, was an Eastern Michigan player. So, again, Max a little bit longer 
um, than Ali, but uh, obviously, you know, guys from the Mid American Conference can do it on the on the defensive side of the ball. Khalil Mack, obviously, another one was was yep. NFL Defensive Player of the Year. So you got some pretty good uh, Mack defensive linemen playing in the NFL. And I think Ali really uh, again started as a true freshman, played uh, played all five years for Western Michigan on that on that edge rush, um, but kind of set himself apart this year with not only the sacks, but he had 16 tackle for losses also. So he really got off the guys at the line of scrimmage, got in the backfield, created a lot of havoc. Um, you know, 6'2", about 245, I believe, was was his measurement. So, you know, got, need to maybe put a little weight on. But you watched him in some of the senior bowl uh, practices, you know, going up against those power five offensive linemen. And he really he really was was, was one of the better defensive linemen that I saw on, on, on all the schools that, that I watched. And just seemed to... He's got a, he's got a lot of moves. He's got a great spin move. He's got a great rip move. He does the I guess the new ghost move that they're they they, uh, they talk about. I know um, you know some of the defensive linemen come up with all kinds of different moves at different times. But uh, you know he knows how to get to the quarterback. And probably early in his career, probably going to be that third down, second down, and long guy. Um, also runs pretty well. Maybe even outside backer type situation. Maybe for bringing some extra linebackers on some coverages, be able. To, maybe cover a running back out of the backfield and still be able to get to the quarterback also. But uh, Ali, defensive player of the year in the MAC, and just um, you know one of the better players in the Mid-American Conference on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you know, partially because of what uh, Lance had mentioned about him being a bit undersized, and I know he doesn't exactly have great quickness or speed, I was wondering where his fit is in the NFL. Do you think he'll be that stand-up edge rusher in a situation, or does he does he fit better maybe playing an outside linebacker spot in maybe a 4-3, specifically yeah, strong Lester, side? Yeah, I know Coach Lester had talked about that, too, is is they actually tried to stand him up a little bit this year in some of their defensive sets and move him around a little bit. Um, obviously, kind of to confuse the offense, but maybe to get Ali an idea of to how he's going to, if he's going to stand up and be able to move around on the defensive side of the ball. But I think, you know, he's, he's definitely an edge rusher. Um, obviously the NFL teams really, you know, that's, they look for those guys, not only a guy to start and play maybe a first, second, third down situation, but those guys that come in maybe on those third down and long situations, passing situations, be one of those guys. And again, Ali played special teams too. So he might be one of those guys, you know, that you put on a special couple of special teams units and, and can and take care of that situation also. My last one for you, I'm going to switch gears over to the quarterback, Caleb Ellaby. Uh, very productive, um, doesn't necessarily have those you know, tools NFL teams are looking for in terms of physical gifts. Uh, what can you tell us about him as a quarterback prospect heading into the NFL? Yeah, the busy thing about Caleb is his arm. He's always had that NFL arm talent. I mean, he can, he can zip it into different spots. Again, uh, in the Bronco offense, was asked to do a lot of those quick slant patterns. The Sky Moore and Corey Crooms and some of the guys, uh, some of the wide receivers that the Broncos had. So, um, but definitely a work in progress. I think he's uh, he got better. His 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 couple. He only played in his first three years. He only played eleven games. Obviously, with COVID, with a short season, only six games in the Mid American Conference, and uh, sat out his freshman year with, with a, John Wasink was a quarterback. So. Didn't have a whole lot of games up until this year. Um, had over 3,000 yards, 23 TDs, only only six interceptions this year, so cut, kind of cut those down a little bit. Um, ran for five touchdowns. Um, but I think I see Caleb, uh, you know, a guy that maybe gets into camp as a, as a late pick or definitely a free agency thing and then kind of learns the NFL system under under some guys. But, 
you know, he, he did a great job for Western Michigan. And again, the NFL arm is going to be the thing that gets him to the next level. John, before we let you go, Western Michigan does have a number of guys that are eligible for the draft. They've got a running back. They have two offensive linemen, a defensive lineman. Anybody else that jumps out to you that you think could make some noise on the NFL level yeah. that may not be getting enough attention at this point? Yeah, you know, one of the defensive linemen, Ralph Holly, was a D-tackle. and He really, uh, him and Ali actually came in as freshmen together, and I think Ralph's got a real good chance to get in camp and, and surprise some guys, put some weight on. He's up near that 300-pound mark playing that three technique in the, in the inside. And Ralph had uh, six sacks, had 35 tackles, you know, had, had 12 tackle for losses, so really did a nice job from that D-tackle spot. And then uh, offensive lineman, maybe Mike Caliendo. Mike was a Werfel and a Campbell Trophy semifinalist, so really smart kid got his master's degree uh six four three hundred pound uh center was kind of captain the offense another guy that might get a, a free agency shot in the nfl john creek western michigan color analyst on the bronco radio network john greatly appreciate you joining us thanks for the insight and look forward to talking to you down the road okay great to be with you guys thanks john you got it john creek weighing in on the Broncos prospects to look out for in the upcoming 2022 draft. A little bit later on, we'll turn our attention to Central Michigan, which has a pair of offensive linemen and a wide receiver who certainly has made some noise. So stay tuned for that. And Sky Moore falls right into line, guys, with the depth at wide receiver yeah. in this draft. We've talked about that consistently. I don't think this year is any different. No, and he could be the first guy. He could be rather the best guy left on the board at wide receiver when the Giants get up in the second round. He could be a first-round pick. That's how high people are on this guy right now. Well, the guy's had over 1,000 yards. If you watch him on film, he makes those catches down the sideline. He makes those catches over the middle. And I think he actually plays bigger than his size at no, times. He does. You're right. So, you know, all of those traits are appealing, especially if you're that type of team that has that quarterback that likes to take chances at flyers down the field. And, hey. You know, put Sky Moore in the mix, and if he can make the transition, I don't see why he wouldn't value a late first-round pick or maybe a second-round pick because we've gone over this before, Paul. You look through recent drafts. I mean, there are teams that have helped their causes in the mid to late rounds at the wide receiver position. You don't necessarily have to make a big splash early on. Well, no, I don't think there's any question about that because, as I've said on this program a thousand times, uh, characteristically, you can do better by getting undrafted rookie wide receivers than any other position in the draft. And because of that, it stands to reason that your late round picks are also going to be probably fruitful or at least give, a, give yourselves a chance to make a team. And Paul, I think you asked a good question on Sky Moore. Is he just a slot guy, right? That's, that's the question. That's the question. That's going to determine whether or not he sneaks into that yeah. first round. If he's just a slot guy, probably not. If a team thinks he can do all three or at least the Z and the slot, then I think you're looking at a potential pick between, you know, 28 and 35. See, I know it's not a big deal to fans out there, but depending upon which wide receiver coach and which OC and which head coach you talk to, there are some guys who will flat out tell their wide receivers, if you don't make that block for the running back, you're not going to play a whole lot. It's a big deal to some guys. Tom yeah. Coughlin mm -hmm. valued receivers who blocked more than any other coach I've ever known. Well, Joe Judge did, too. Okay. He always talked about that. Mm -hmm. Tom was just, like, absolutely to the wall. You don't block, you don't play. And so I I'm looking at, at him, and I'm saying to myself, more to me, he's going to have to add some strength, and he's going to have to be able to do some of that. He The, the limited amount of clips that I watched this morning, because I knew we were talking about this school, I took a quick look. 
I didn't see any of that. So he's going to have to to get some some strength on his body, on his bones, and he's going to have to show a willingness to do it if he's drafted by a coach and a GM who wants receivers to do that. If they don't care, you know, like Tyreek Hill's never asked to block in the Kansas City offense. So if the coach doesn't care, then it won't matter. What a good transition, Paul. And we will open the phones, by the way, try to get in uh, before our guests at 1230. But Lance, this Tyreek Hill stuff is crazy, huh? Yeah, there's rumors that supposedly the Chiefs have given him permission, his agent, to uh, seek a trade because they have not been able to lock up an extension. Well, but, not just that. Schefter said 15 minutes ago, Lance, I'm not sure if you saw it, that apparently there are trades in place with both the Jets and Dolphins and basically Tyree Kill's picking which place he wants to go to. Yeah, I, I saw those were the yeah. two teams. I didn't see that necessarily it was locked in. I just saw that those were the two teams that were showing the most interest. But if you're Tyree Kill, I think you also need to ask yourself – how does your value change if you're no longer playing in that Kansas City offense and with Patrick Mahomes? Well, Is he's getting paid. He probably doesn't care. <laughs> well, but, I mean, according to Schefter's reports, though, the Chiefs were willing to make him one of the most highest-paid wide receivers Correct. in the yes. NFL. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, granted, I don't know how off that is from what his agent was asking. But if the money's good, I think his value is only going to increase if he stays with Mahomes in that offense, as opposed to, you know, you could go from Patrick Mahomes to, you know, all of a sudden a second-year quarterback. You got to ask yourself if you're Tyreek Hill, and not to say that he can't be productive elsewhere because he's got the speed, but I think a lot of how Kansas City utilizes him makes him who he is. Environment, oh, it's yeah. no different than the quarterback. Well, he's not a typical receiver. He's one of those guys we talk about who is a weapon. He's an offensive weapon because he can do a lot of gadget stuff. But the, Kansas City game plans for that. Is oh, there's what I'm no saying. doubt. No, there's no doubt. And you would think that if if the Jets or the Dolphins acquired him, they're going to put a chapter in the playbook just for him. Because otherwise, why do you make the deal? Something tells me the Devontae Adams contract probably didn't help the Chiefs in this conversation. Yeah, number I, one, I could see that. Uh, number two, Tyreek has a decision to make. Does he care about making an extra ten million over the course of his career, or do he rather try to win a Super Bowl? That's the question mm -hmm. he has to ask himself. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing is also, speaking of Devontae Adams, they didn't give up two first-round picks for Devontae Adams, so then how does Tyreek Hill I don't think he's gonna, I don't think get gonna back get two, two first-rounders? I don't think he's getting two ones. I'd I think surprised. it'll be a one and then a two or a three. That would yeah. be my bet. I mean, I'd be stunned if he seeks more in return than what Devontae Adams got. Well, the difference because, is that he is currently under contract. Adam correct. is on the tag. Mm -hmm. So that does increase his value a little bit. Though, if if it's a package deal with a contract extension, they are similar, Lance, to your point. Yeah. No, I, that I agree with you. Yeah, because then you don't have to worry about acquiring him, giving up assets, and then negotiating a new contract. That certainly helps. As opposed to Devontae Adams, you have to acquire him and then work out a new deal. Though something tells me he signed off on that, so he was at least open to oh, signing yeah. a contract with that new team. And oh, I'm sure the mm. same would be with Tyreek. Oh, Hill. and I'm sure that both the Jets and Dolphins have already talked to Hill's agent about that contract oh, yeah. extension. Yeah. yeah, I'd just like to hear what Mahomes thinks about this. <laughs> He's probably not happy. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Well, you know, they'll get a top 10 pick from the Jets, and they'll pick a wide receiver probably. In all likelihood. And uh, have the depth to certainly entertain that. And, and, I, they, and I'll tell you what, Lance, just real quick. You want a carbon copy of Tyreek Hill? And if you don't mind waiting a little bit, just draft Jameson Williams. Mm. Same guy. Yep. Same guy. Yeah. Well, there's tons of playmakers in this draft at wide receiver. So if Kansas City does lose Tyreek Hill, 
something tells me they'll be fine. Plus, you still got Travis Kelsey. You got some running backs. And I don't know. I know they're going after, I think, Valdez Scantling from Green Bay was yeah, at saw least meeting too. with yep. them. So, you know, he's a speed guy. Hasn't been overly productive, but you can maybe find ways in terms of your game plan to have him do some damage. All right, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. We check in with Jeff in Maine joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jeff? Well, hey, guys. Uh, Welcome back, John. We missed you. A lot going on. (laughs) Um, Hey, I got an interesting uh, observation. Uh, uh, Len from Maryland last Thursday, I think, called and mentioned that – there wasn't enough size in, in the Giants' defensive backfield. Um, three hours later, uh, they cut Logan Ryan. <laughs> you know, I, I knew Len was knowledgeable. I just didn't realize that he wielded, you know, such power. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think that'll make uh, Kyle Hamilton more palatable to the Giants because they will actually uh, have a need for him if they do draft him. Not that I'm necessarily advocating for that. But... Um, I, I just wanted to say a quick thing about the draft. I think that uh, the draft is, is going to be really interesting um, because both Kyle Hamilton and um, uh, Thibodeau could go anywhere from one to nine. I'm thinking, and yeah. uh, so and and also uh, Sauce Gardner has really been ascending. So I'm thinking he's going to go three or four to either the Jets or Houston. So um, I I agree with uh, uh, Tim from Charleston. I think it was who said that it, now it, it seems like after the free agency period. The odds that uh, one of those two tackles at the top of the draft will fall to the Giants is probably at least 50-50 now. And, uh, but ironically, they almost have less of a need for them because uh, those two offensive linemen they signed, who I'm real happy about, are good run blockers. They're not tackles, and no, 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 but I'm just saying it won't be the end of the world if they're not there because we at least have some run blocking. You know, we, we, need, we need someone to spring Saquon out to the second level because that, that's where the magic happens with him. And yeah, I'm but looking you to, for him to Jeff, have a good year this year. You don't have a right tackle still, though. Yeah, you that's don't have problem. one of your starting five right now. Right. Well, we need, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think there's like nine guys up there, and I don't care who they pick, uh, which order, as long as one of them is the right tackle. Um, so, I, I mean, I'd be happy with Charles Cross is, is what I'm getting I, I would, too. I, I remember I did a video with John over a month ago, and I said I would have no trouble taking Cross at seven. So I'm, right. I'm on board with you. If that's sure. the way it's got to be, I'm okay with it. Okay, uh, cool. Oh, thanks. And then the only other thing is I was just wondering, do you know anything about that defensive uh, lineman they just signed from Baltimore? Um, that what, John Ward you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, well, he was previously in Baltimore with Martindale. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, right. I think that's who he's referring to yep. in terms yeah, he, of... His nickname is Live Wire because he's extremely animated at practice and at games. He plays defensive end and also can slide in as a three-technique defensive tackle. And, uh, yeah, he's a big fan of Wick Martindale. Last year he played with the Jaguars for one season. Yep. But prior to that, had two years with the Ravens. Uh, loves Wink. Loves the system, loves to be moving around. Uh, you know, he's he's a very confident and energetic kind of guy, and I'm I'm looking forward to talking to him throughout the season. He goes a six five, about two eighty five, I believe. Yeah, he's not a big sack guy because he only has ten over the course of his career, but he's got his fair share of quarterback hits. 
I mean, he certainly has the ability to be a disruptive player. And you could argue that some of his most productive years, even in terms of sacks, have actually come under Martindale. He had three in 2020 in Baltimore. The only other season he had that high was 2018 with the Indianapolis Colts. So clearly there's that comfort, there's that fit. And when he spoke to the media, he was singing the praises of Martindale. He was very excited about reuniting with him. Big fan of his coaching, based on what he said. Real quick, I wasn't here when the move was made. You guys were. I'm curious... The Logan Ryan move, they didn't really save any money on that. So I'm mean, guess the assumption is just that Wink Martindale basically said to, you know, Joe Shane, this dude doesn't fit. I wouldn't even really know how to use him, so let's just make the move. There were no specific comments about it, John, but I have a theory on this. If you look at Patrick Graham's defense, one of the best things that Logan Ryan does, because he's lost a half a step, there's no doubt, maybe even a full step, well, and he's a lot of point he, in his career. He's also cornerback size playing safety. That's right. the other part of it, too. Right. So the best part of his game was his smarts mm-hmm. and his intangibles, his ability to disguise in the secondary. That's where the most value is in Logan Ryan as a player. Agree. Okay? That is exactly the opposite of what Wick Martindale wants. Wink Martindale is a guy who stresses front seven and he will mug linebackers and he will disguise what he's going to do in the front seven. He's pretty much in the secondary telling you what he's going to do. There's no disguising back there. All of his gamesmanship and his pre-snap stuff is all within the front seven. Patrick Graham did more of his stuff in the back four. So when you look at the, the the best stuff that Logan Ryan brings to the table, it is the opposite of what Wink Martindale's going to stress in his defense. I That's agree. my theory. No, I agree with you. And I think also Wink, for corners, values speed and length. That's... Also, not what Logan well, Ryan that's because really is. So he, he's going to he's going to basically show you what his secondary right. is straight mm-hmm. up before the snap. And so, if the physical skills aren't able to match up to what they're advertising, it's a problem. And Logan Ryan's going to do it more with his wits than he is his legs. Lance, you want to squeeze in Jay real quick here? Sure. I, well, the only thing I was just going to add is I also wonder. I believe you know Logan has a residence down in Florida because his wife was down there. I believe when she had surgery during the season. So you know it's also possible that this stage in his career they had conversations. He wants to reunite with Brady, a chance to win, go closer to where his family resides. Possibly could have been at least part of what went. Their separate ways from that standpoint. Jay is in Brooklyn, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jay? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, I think it's fascinating what's going on in the NFL right now with all the quarterbacks. It, it, you know, when you look at the trades with the Russell Wilson and the Deshaun Watson and the contract he got, the price of the quarterbacks is just going up and up and up, not only monetarily, but also compensation-wise. And if you look around the league, the thirst, the absolute thirst right now with these teams who are trying to find a quarterback – I don't think it's ever been higher in the time that I've watched it. I think the rule changes have something to do with that because it's an offensive league now. But it just shows you how hard of a job Joe Shane has going forward. Not only does he have to build this team, but he has to, without a doubt, has to keep an eye going forward on trying to not only look for a quarterback, but acquiring the compensation it's going to take to eventually get that guy, yep. assuming, assuming Jones doesn't work out. Now, as a Giant fan, you want your best case scenario is Jones turns it around and is the franchise quarterback. But that's not likely. I mean, it may happen, not likely. But it's amazing the compensation that it's going to take to try to get a quarterback going. Like everybody's saying, hey, we'll just pick a guy next year. 
yesterday's price is not today's price going forward. Well, that's for if you go out and try to grab a veteran-proven guy. I mean, you could still grab somebody I, in the I, draft. I that's not going to cost you a boatload. Well, Lance, well, it will if you have to move up to draft that yeah, guy. Yeah, but I'm right. saying exactly. if you already have the capital, which he was alluding to, then you may not have to move well, up, I, especially I th- if you go out and acquire an additional first-round pick or Now, something. Jay, I don't want to speak for you, but I think where you're going is exactly what Lance just said, right? You want to try to acquire some extra picks so you have that capital right. to move up if you want, right? You have to, and not only that, I don't know if... if, if a first round pick plus another first is going to, and not only that, you look at the, just look at the NFC, for instance. Look at the Vegas odds for next year, right? Just to say who they think are the worst teams. I can name you 10 teams right now who could be looking for a quarterback next year, right off the rip. You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable what the, what the position has become, and I think the Watson contract pushed that in the Wilson trade. I mean, people sleep on the Wilson trade. I mean, they gave up two number ones, two twos. And basically two starters. That's unbelievable compensation for a guy, and then have to sign him to a new contract. I think that it has to be taken to effect sure. going forward. Where you know, hey, we have a sick, we have the six overall pick. All we got to do is give him another first. Let's say, for instance, next year Carolina gets the top pick or Houston. Not only do they need a quarterback, but to get the guy, you're going to have to give them the moon in order to get up there. Yeah, I mean, that's been the trend. It's been trending in that direction Thanks, forever. Sir. We've said quarterbacks get paid. They all get paid in this league. So I don't think it's that stunning in terms of the contracts that Deshaun Watson got and what's going to follow after that. What, there's like six guys that are making $40 million or more a year right now. In the These guys are so overpriced, so, they might as well be owners of the team and play quarterback at the same time. Well, That's the, really where it's going, but you don't want to get me started on this. No, I'm not. I'm just saying the cap's going to go you know, up, though, relative to those contracts. So, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast when it comes to the NFL. The quarterback contracts go up because the cap goes up, and they stay within that percentage. You know, the toughest part about this, and, you know, I think I was on with either you, Lance, or you, John, last week when I referred to this. Remember, GM's game plan with their contract situations three years out. Well, three years ago was right before the pandemic. It was it would be 2019, okay? And the anticipation at that point was that three years down the road, the cap would be 240. Well, the cap is nowhere near that. It's like 218, right, John? Or is it 211? Right now it's 209. I 209, yes. 209. I, that's right. So the point is you had teams that were structuring all their contracts as they looked over that three-year plan for something that was going to be 240 and then got squashed after the pandemic. And nowhere does that become more of a, of a tight squeeze and a huge boil, okay, than when you're looking at the top of your scale and in most cases your highest paid player is your quarterback. And that's why this becomes right now in this particular year – it will be a little bit different when the cap continues to go up and up and up and they kind of recover from the pandemic effects. But until that happens, this is a huge blister for every general manager who's got one of these mega paid quarterbacks. It is a huge problem because they're taking up a hell of a lot more of your cap than you wanted them to or you planned to. More of a reason why you got to do some of the heavy lifting through the draft. And that brings us back to the draft conversation. We conquered Western Michigan earlier. Now we're going to transition to Central Michigan. And to break down those prospects, 
We are now joined by Adam Jackson, the play-by-play announcer for the Chippewas. Adam, you got Lance Meadow, John Schmoke, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Everything's good. I hope you reminded. I hope you reminded those Broncos who beat them uh, this year in in Kalamazoo. Let them know the Chippewas got the victory, right? <laughs> wow! <laughs> Absolutely. We we had that as the first thing right off the bat before we delved into the rest of the prospects. I can assure you that, Adam. But let's turn our attention to the guys that you know very well. I want to start up front on the offensive line. They have two in particular, but the guy that's intriguing to me is Bernard Ryman, who. I'm interested in his background before we get into the X's and O's, Adam, because I think a lot of people don't realize he hasn't really played tackle for quite some time because he started off as a tight end and then during the pandemic was making the transition to the offensive line. So for the small period of time that he's actually been on the offensive line, what has that transition been like and how much of a stride do you think he's made in that department? Yeah, he, he's such a unique story. I mean, coming over from Austria, growing up being a soccer player and, and didn't even know what the game of football was or, or what a football even looked like until he was like 13 or 14 years old. So it's all been a lot of transition for him. But uh, the consistent thing that, that Mike Cummings, the offensive line coach at CMU and just the coaching staff in general has said is he, he's a quick learner, obviously. Um, he's a really smart kid, double majored here at CMU. Um, in actual science and, and was a stats grad as well. So um, he does a really good job of studying the game, and um, he listened to what the coaches said. I mean, that's sometimes guys half the battle is um, do you listen to what they're saying and do you use that? And um, he was a tight end. He wasn't a great catcher at the tight end position. Um, he was definitely more of a blocking tight end. Um, but once he made the transition, he bulked up, he put on 65, 70 pounds, and, and then it was just, okay, we just have to teach this guy the technique, and he could do wonders. I mean, they were even thinking, look at the jump he made this year from last year. What would he potentially do next year? Um, and certainly an NFL team is, is going to be lucky to find that out. But that's been the biggest thing and why he's made the jump from nobody knowing his name to now who is this guy is because of how quick he's picked up the game and that's a credit to the way he studied it and improved um over the years i'm thinking uh from from the limited video that i've seen from him when he makes the jump up here to the nfl he's still gonna have to add some power he's gonna have to deal with speedier rushers than he did when he was playing down there uh, at that level in college uh, how do you see him, you know, polishing up some of these rough spots? Yeah, I, I think uh, again, it, it's just going to be him getting experience. He's such a, it, it's such a weird situation. I mean, you could almost look at him and say one of the knocks is he's a little bit older, right? I mean, he's going to be 25 years old. I think the birthday's in September, so right around when the NFL season is starting this upcoming year. But the fact that he's going to be 25, he's just really inexperienced. So. I think as cliche or easy as it sounds, a lot of the the reps and um, just playing experience is going to help him um, because he's really athletic. That's that's the one thing they absolutely love about him is his athleticism um, and um, the, the way he's been able to be physical. I know it's in the Mid-American Conference, and, and obviously the NFL is going to be a, a bigger step, but I think him just continuing to get taught uh, by NFL coaches that have been, been there and done that before and get the experience 
certainly that's going to play a big part in, in whether or not he can sustain this and continue to improve. Now, let me ask you, though, about his arm length, because we all know in the NFL they got this stigma about guys who are under 34-inch arms, and he's a tad under that. Is that is that something that you think is going to be uh, prompting NFL teams to look at him as a guard? And now, if they do that, is that a problem where all of a sudden this is a guy who is a little bit raw, who's already had to make a conversion to a position late in his career, uh, that he would have to make another conversion if they moved him inside? I think that's a very fair question. I really do. I think, obviously, you, you look at the measurables and you saw that you know his arm length isn't the traditional length of what, what the tackle is at the NFL level. Um, but I do think that, again, knowing in his experience that he has been able to transition from different positions um, and he's grown and adapted and been able to learn at a quick pace, I think that NFL teams are potentially interested in him at the guard position. I know that's been thrown around as, can he play guard position? I know our, our again, talking with Mike Cummings, the offensive line coach um, last year at CMU, he has said that NFL coaches have um, inquired about that in the past. So I don't think that would be crazy to think that, hey, Bernard Raymond may get drafted. He could potentially be a tackler or a guard. He never played guard at Central Michigan. He just sat at left tackle because they never had issues with him out there. I mean, he never gave up sacks. He never gave up pressures over the last half of the year. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he were to move into guard, if he were able to accept that position, learn it, and also be successful at it. Um, certainly there would be question marks because he's never played the position before. Two-part question from me. One, you mentioned the inexperience, so I don't know if you've talked to maybe his offensive line coach or people in the program. What are some of the technical things that he's still trying to work on to get better at? And then how did he perform in your three big conference games against, or big out-of-conference games? Missouri, LSU, Washington State. How did he perform in those games? Well, he didn't play against Washington State, just to start with the the second question there. Um, he sat out to get ready for the draft. But against LSU and Missouri, specifically against Missouri, he was excellent. I mean, that was that was the first game of the season, and uh, a lot of NFL people, I think, were looking at that game for him to give it a measuring stick. He's outside the MAC, and he was phenomenal. I mean, he, he handled his own, and Missouri, I mean, they've always been known for their defensive line. They had a couple of good rushers. Um, and he had no trouble with it. So it was, again, to see this guy blossom into the way he did this year, really his first full year, I mean, because we only played six games last year, and that be the first game on the schedule on the road against Missouri was, was pretty impressive the way that he went out there and acted like he's been doing this for years. Um, I think in terms of the things that, that you're looking at for working on it is just if he were to move to guard, that's where just watching him and the way he's excelled at tackle at the next level, that would be, that would be where I would want to see, can he handle the physical guys of the interior defensive linemen in the NFL? I mean, those guys are, are so talented. Can he handle the strength inside? That's certainly something, if he did move positions and played at a guard level, can he handle those guys and can he be successful in that role? Adam, Luca Deckies, the other offensive lineman, as we switch to the opposite side of the line, didn't play in 2020 due to injury and didn't even get to take part in most of the Senior Bowl festivities because of a hamstring injury. But overall, you could argue he did have a nice bounce-back season after not being out there in 2020. 
What was your assessment of 2021 versus 2019, considering he missed that year in the middle? Yeah, I mean, he still looks just as dominant to, to us. I mean, he was uh, he's a first-team All-Mac selection. And, uh, again, he doesn't quite have the physical athleticism and build that uh, Bernard Raymond does, but he's just uh, he's got a mean streak about him. Uh, very quick hands. Uh, and, again, even though he's being projected as probably a guard, I know I believe some teams are, are looking at him potentially as a center. I mean, he, he played tackle for us. In, in that smaller, you know, not as long type of build, and, and he had no problems at all. So I, w- I was very impressed, uh, again, for, for a guy that missed the season, came back, um, is projected to be more on the interior of the line. Um, he, he was really successful at the right tackle position for us. What about uh, in terms of his smarts? You know, you're talking about his physical tools there. You said he's got good hands and he plays angry. It's a paraphrase. Um, in the NFL, there's a lot of guys who will do stunting and twisting, and, and they'll mug their linebackers up front, and then all of a sudden you see an offensive lineman who's looking around saying, what in the world did I just see? Uh, what, what is your, your estimation in terms of his ability to pick things up? Yeah, again, talking, talking with the coaching staff, um, they, they're really high on him, and both these guys. Um, I mean, both Luke and Bernard, guys that are good in film study, um, guys that know the game, and um, guys that adapted well to coaching. I mean, because that's half the battle is, is uh, you got to go out there and play, but um, you also have to be able to be taught. And uh, I, I don't think he would have any issue. Again, I, I'm talking about it from a, a maroon and gold perspective here, but all the challenges that he was given at CMU, um, he answered, including injuries, um, including moving a couple of positions. But um, I don't think he would have any issue with that. He seems like a heady, smart player from what we've watched here at the collegiate level, and I would have no reason to believe that that doesn't transfer to the NFL level as well. Final one for me, you know, he played tackle for you guys in college. Does it Just the way he plays and the way he works and his profile, does it seem like a natural fit and slide for you if he does wind up at guard or center in the NFL? 100%. I, I would be very surprised if he's not playing one of those positions um, I, I, for an NFL team. I, I think he's he's destined to be a guard um, at the NFL level. But again, with his smarts um, and with his ability to be able to move across the line, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he ends up being a center as well. But yeah, I, I don't think, again, from what I'm hearing from, from up here at CMU and from what some of the NFL personnel have said, I don't expect him to be outside of the line. Talking with Central Michigan play-by-play announcer Adam Jackson. Adam, before we let you go, the other player I wanted to throw out is at the wide receiver position, and that's Khalil Pimpleton because, I mean, this guy's a real crafty player once he gets the football into his hands and gets into open space. But I know there's been some questions about his hands and whether or not he's got to clean that up. How troubling were his drops at times throughout the course of his career, and how much could that be an issue at the next level? Yeah, that was really unique because you think of you think of him and you thought he's as sure-handed as they come because I mean on top of being the wide receiver kind of scat back that he was, he also returned kicks for us um and it was uh, I mean we saw a couple of bobbles from him on punt returns but typically he was very sure-handed on those. Uh, but I think certainly that's that's something he's got to prove in the wide receiver room is um he did drop a couple of balls 
but for the most part, he was about as reliable as they come. You needed you needed short yardage situation. Um, he was a guy that uh, could find openings. Um, he was put in the backfield, very uh, very diverse type of player. Running back, I mean, he played quarterback in high school. He also played some quarterback for us back in 2020 because they were they were so short rostered and had some injuries that he's thrown a touchdown pass. He's had receiving touchdowns. He's had rushing touchdowns. He's had punt return touchdowns. Um, and uh, he, he's got a great personality. Um, he, heart, and, heart and soul of the team here, if you're talking to Coach McElwain in, in Central Michigan. So certainly he's going to have to clean up some of the drops that he had, but Khalil Pimpleton is an all-around amazing human being and a guy that can do a lot of different things for a football team at the next level. Also impressive that he averaged 15 and a half yards per catch. That certainly jumps off the page. I'm sure a lot of teams are going to be interested if they can move him around within their scheme. He is Adam Jaxa, who is the play-by-play announcer for Central Michigan. Adam, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. You got it. Our pleasure. So that is the latest with respect to the Central Michigan process. Speaking of a guy that's utilized in a variety of different spots that could move around, ESPN's Adam Schefter is now reporting that Tyreek Hill is no longer a chief because he's going to be traded to the Miami Dolphins for five picks. 2022 first-rounder, a second-round pick, and a fourth-rounder, as well as fourth- and sixth-rounders in the following year, 2023. So five picks for Tyreek Hill as he goes to the Dolphins, and now they have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill surrounding Tua and something tells me, considering Mike McDaniel was from the Kyle Shanahan school of thought, he's going to probably move around those two guys in so many different spots that no defense is going to have any idea where on every play they're going to wind up ending. Yeah, and Lance Chapter also reporting the contract extension is four years, $120 million, with 72 guaranteed. Most of that coming in the first three years. So Ooh. that first three years, three years, $72 million. Uh, It's a lot. For a wide receiver, it is. But look, the Dolphins are in a similar spot that the Giants are, right? The Giants are trying to learn about Daniel Jones this year. The Dolphins are trying to learn about Tua. Well, you know what? No more excuses. They bring in Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, new coach, two, uh, the big-time wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Put up a shut-up time. They're going to want to get him a running back, too. Oh, they, they, they signed Chase Edmonds, and they brought in uh, Raheem Mostert. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They did sign Edmonds. And Mostert. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing is, two also is a year behind to the draft class of Daniel Jones. Yep. So there's a little bit more leeway, a little bit more flexibility, but I would agree. Guy's got to stay healthy. That's number one. And now he's got a boatload of talent around him. I also think, though, just based on the guys they're bringing in, Mike McDaniel is putting his stamp on this roster. If you just look at the types of players the Niners brought in and how Debo Samuel was utilized, and I'm not saying Tyree kills Debo Samuel. They're completely different body types, but they're going to – take Tyreek Hill, and they're going to take Jalen Waddell, they're not just going to be wide receivers. They're going to be weapons in every aspect of the word, and they're probably going to try to take as much pressure off of Tua and just get him the ball to the guys in open space and let them do the heavy lifting. I think that's going to be a big part of this Dolphins' new offensive scheme. We agree. Yeah. I mean, it just it, it has it written all over it based on what Mike McDaniel has done with that San Francisco offense in conjunction with Shanahan. All right, 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the phone lines. OG is in D.C. What's happening, OG? Hey, man, listen, first of all, great show, guys. You know, awesome guy. 
You know, you guys been doing an excellent job all year. You know, I appreciate the contact. Uh, Thank you. I did have a chance to speak with you last week. So I just want to, hey, John, are you there today, buddy? I am here. Yeah, man, you put, yeah, man your interviews have been great, man. I, I called in last week, and you weren't there, but I wanted to talk to you direct because I really don't like putting words in people's mouths and stuff like that. But I did bring your name up because a caller had called in, and he had said something that Lance and I were just trying to figure out what you meant to sentiment. Now, you may have already addressed this, so apologize in advance if you've already addressed this, but I'm still curious what you kind of meant because I brought up the fact that I watched one of your podcasts after somebody brought up and saying that, you know, what I took away from it is that you were saying only about, you know, I think you said about 18 to 20 players are normally rated first-round players in the, in the first round. So that was the first thing I wanted you to see, if you could address for me and Lance to kind of figure out, was it a general statement about this particular draft or just in general about players being rated, you know? No, I, I think generally speaking, in, in, in most drafts, OG, you only have, you know, somewhere between 18 and 22, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less players with a, with, with a pure first-round grade. Okay. All right, yeah, and that's what I was. That's what I took away from it too. So that's mm-hmm. what I was kind of telling Lance. That's what you know what the caller was alluding to. So I appreciate you clearing up. The other thing was the caller before your guest brought up what the other issue when I was saying to you. So you know, I wish in the perfect scenario, you know, Daniel, you know, Jones would be that guy. I'm just happy to be one of those people. I, I, I personally, I, I've seen enough as far as to make my determination. You know, being so I'm, you know, and I'll just leave it at that. I wish the best, but I don't think it's going to be here. But it really comes down to what everybody keeps saying about next year and the possibility of, you know, building all that. And then he brought up the issue, which I brought up, is that it's going to be cost entirely too much, number one. And that's why they value quarterbacks. That's why you see all these quarterbacks getting this money. So until you have a quarterback that you're sure you have, you don't have one. So I think it's totally irresponsible for us not to pick a quarterback until we actually know what we have one, especially given all the scenarios from his play to his health and everything in there. No one, I mean, convince me that if that we wouldn't, you know, have to basically blow the whole team all up in order to get if things didn't go right next year. I think bringing the veteran here is the perfect reason why you have to take a chance on one of these quarterbacks. Number one, we're not going to, you know, it's not likely unless we do something like we did last year that we're going to have two first-round picks. We've got plenty of picks, and we're only talking about one. I think we move back, and we, you know, with that seventh-round seventh pick, maybe not too far back, but we take whatever best available quarterback. OG, 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 I'm going to make this very simple for you. If the Giants look at these quarterbacks okay. and they do not believe any of these guys are going to be long-term starters in the NFL, why should they pick one? Because, number one, we, it's a 50-50 chance, John. And the thing is this. No, 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 no. Let me just say it. Let me just say it. No, no, but okay. it's not. Me, you, it's not a coin me, flip. You have to trust your evaluation. Can I please just answer, John? Let me, let, let me, let me articulate my thought, man. I, I, I understand you made your point, okay? But I just want to make mine, and I'll get off. I'll try to be fast. But here's the thing, John. I, I just think that there's a 50-50% chance whether player is going to be you, you, you develop a player. If one of these other quarterbacks are picked up in the first round, like we all know they're going to be, and they and they have success, I think it's a, you know it's more than a slap of wrist for the GM and the ownership. And here's the thing: is you can't keep continue to be wrong. You can only be wrong. You have a fifty percent chance of being wrong. So I, I, I get what you're saying, but you know I'm just tired of other teams getting these quarterbacks 
and then they, and, and they end up being a lot better than what we thought they were going to be because clearly we were wrong about the ones we we picked brought in this sauce. So that's all I'm gonna say. I mean, you know, I I don't have all the answers, man, but I do know one thing: if you don't have one, you need to pick one. And you pick one every year until you got one, especially when you got two first round picks. We can't afford to do this next year. There's no way. So I think hands should roll if we if we don't pick one and and we watch other ones go have success. So I, I, we're the smartest guys in the room. I can't wait to see how this plays out because I'm tired of losing. So thanks for taking my call, and I'll listen to everything. Thank you, OJ. Appreciate the comment. You see, there's a basic philosophy problem that the caller has here, and that is I can't tell you if John's a good driver if I've only given him a car with three tires on it. I've got to give John a car that has four tires on it. Then I can find out if John is a good driver. Until you've given Daniel Jones a car with four tires, you don't know if he is a good driver. So if you're foolish enough to cut bait on him and to start trying to game plan for the next quarterback to be the franchise guy, well, now you have prematurely told me that John is not a good driver, even though he only had three tires on the car, and now you have to go out and shop for another tire, and you still don't even know if John is a good driver. It makes absolutely no sense. I'm going to push Daniel Jones aside. There is a strategy that says, and other teams have done this before, right? You just keep picking quarterbacks, right? And, and eventually you'll find one. The problem is, especially if you pick a Malik Willis, for example, you're not going to know about Malik Willis for another two or three years because he's a developmental player. So you're setting yourself back. like It's not a Josh Rosen deal where you're going to have him in the building for a year and you're going to know you can bail on him already. Like that's not well, Look what, what the Browns did for years. Well, that, they yeah, played musical chairs with quarterback yeah, picks nonstop. It's a carousel. Because when you pick the wrong, and where are they now? Because if you want to give these guys a real chance, you're going to give them two or three years. So that means that means you're setting yourself back again. And mm-hmm. if you don't really believe in the guy, now if the Giants really think that, you know, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett are going to be, you know, Pro Bowl level quarterbacks, go pick one. I'm fine with that. But I think that's I don't know what their evaluation is, but I don't think that's what a lot of teams around the league or evaluating this class as? Well, the other issue is you take a quarterback before your house is in order, and you don't have the environment for the quarterback to flourish, especially if you throw them to the Wolves. And I don't think it's 50-50 every time you take a quarterback Exactly, that correct. Not. I think Cleveland has proven that it's definitely not 50-50 because they've had a lot of at-bats, and they didn't necessarily succeed. And unfortunately, now Baker, because of the revolving door of coaches and offensive coordinators, they're moving on from Baker Mayfield. And I don't think that's necessarily a statement that Baker can't be a good quarterback. It's the fact that because of the ups and downs and new management, they want to go in a different direction. Hey, okay? where, where would the Broncos be after Elway if they didn't get lucky and have Peyton Manning come to them after neck surgery? They'd still be looking for the next quarterback. And by the way, if Kenny Pickett or Malik Wills are sitting there for me at the top of the second round, I'd consider that. But they're not going to make it that far because quarterbacks get overdrafted. You know what I mean? Well, the other thing is, and I actually, when I was having this conversation with OG earlier in the week, I said, I don't think the Giants are a quarterback away, meaning that's not the missing piece right now. There's more pieces that need to be added before you even get to the point of the quarterback. And five and seven can help you address those other areas before we talk about just inserting a young quarterback. So that's another reason why I don't necessarily think that, you know, that should be the biggest priority. But I'm with you, John. If they're enamored by a guy 
And the new management, which has absolutely no ties to Daniel Jones, remember, they didn't draft him, so it's not like they say, hey, we have to give him X amount of years. If they love a young kid and they think, hey, you know, this is somebody that can handle himself regardless of the circumstances, I'm fine with making that decision. But I just don't think there's a quarterback in this class that's coming in and playing Superman and putting on the cape and rescuing this team hey, single-handedly. Look, I watched Malik Willis this morning, um, and you look at his high-end plays— he looks like, you know, Michael Vick and Patrick Mahomes. He's like, got a great arm. That's what his high-end stuff looks like. Then you look at his bad plays, and you're like, oh, now I see, where he just throws the ball to the other team, right? So he's a guy that hasn't played a ton. He's from a small league. He used to work on, you know, the one thing that stood out for me with him is that he throws a great deep ball, big play guy, strong legs, breaks tackles, creates extra time. You know, to succeed in the NFL, you need to be able to complete intermediate throws in the middle of the field in traffic, right? You have small windows, and you have to be able to complete those passes between 10 and 19 yards in the middle of the field. He barely did that at all in college. That's going to be a huge transition for him. It's going to take him time, period. You know, I don't know if Tannehill was ever going to get himself right in Miami, and I understand that. But the truth of the matter is... He's certainly gotten himself right in Tennessee. How much better off would the Dolphins be right now? Instead of having to worry about the questions surrounding Tua, who I personally don't think very highly of, but how much better off would they have been had they gotten things fixed and been patient with Tannehill and had he gotten to the level that he is now in Miami? They would be so much further ahead of where they are today. But they're not well, and because goes, they that- gave up. Yeah, well, it also goes back to the environment. You know, the no doubt. coaches that the no Dolphins doubt. had, the inability to address the offensive line. So all of that's going to shape the quarterback. Real quickly, just before we get into a phone call again, what you're bringing up, Paul, is my argument, which I hear from callers and fans a lot, is if so-and-so drafted this player, how much different the trajectory of the team would be. And I don't agree with that assessment. For example, if Josh Allen went to the Jets He went to Arizona. He went to Cleveland, okay, which were the other teams that took quarterbacks that year. You can't guarantee me that Josh Allen's going to be the quarterback he is because the Buffalo coaching staff and the talent around Josh Allen is just as responsible for his development and his success as much as it is his own personal skill set because it goes back to the environment. Just like if you put Baker elsewhere— you put Sam Darnold. If Josh Rosen had a legitimate chance elsewhere, maybe he's not right now a journeyman who's been with six or seven different teams. Well, we're okay? saying the same thing in yeah. different ways yeah. because the truth of the matter is if the Dolphins had worried worried more about fixing everything around Tannehill, maybe he would have flourished there. Yeah. And, and had he gotten more time, it might have all worked in Miami. But no, they couldn't fix everything else around him, and so they decided to dump him, and now he's in a place where the environment around him is conducive to success. Good for him, and Miami's still trying to figure it out. I know they've won some games the last couple of years. I get that, but nobody, I I don't think anybody would tell you that they think their quarterback situation is concrete great. I don't think anybody would tell you that. No, they're trying to figure it out. Let's head back to the lines before we wrap up shop. Jake is in Connecticut joining us. What's happening, Jake? Hi, how are you guys doing? Doing all right. What's hey, on your mind? I'm calling because I'm a big fan of the New York Giants, and I finally hope that this year is going to be our year 
And I'm calling to say I'm excited for Coach Dabo and Joe Shane. I'm excited to see what they bring to the table and the new roles. And I'm excited for the season to get rolling and excited for the draft. Awesome. All right, Jake. Well, I think you echo similar sentiments to most Giants fans. That's what happens when you have the newness that comes across the board and appreciate the phone call. Certainly an exciting time because the Giants have two first-round picks, and whenever you have that capital, you have an opportunity to improve your team depending on what you choose to do with it. And we will have plenty of time to tackle what they're going to do with those picks as we move forward. We'll continue to break down the different prospects from various schools leading up to the draft over the next few weeks, so certainly stay tuned for that as that is going to wrap things up for us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder that today's episode is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. For John Schmelk and Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll be back up and running again on Thursday at noon Eastern. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.